Hey, what's going on there, Warrior? Jeff here from warriorlife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 470. So it's a skill that's critical for first responders, or really anyone who regularly finds themselves in situations where you're face-to-face with an aggressive individual who may or may not be a physical threat and attack you or somebody that you're with. And it's a skill that few civilians actually even know about, and even fewer get right. And it can have disastrous consequences for them for not understanding this information. Now, I'm talking about the skill of being able to read another person's body language. And even more specifically, there's silent attack cues that can really be a warning sign for you that a confrontation is about to get violent. And it allows you to take fast, decisive action to either escape the situation or launch your own attack to preemptively stop your attacker before he's able to gain that offensive advantage over you. Now, this week's guest has made studying these silent attack signals and teaching them to law enforcement and civilians his personal passion and mission. And for our show, we're going to dig a lot deeper into the science of how to decode a prospective attacker's hidden warning signs so that you are never caught in a no warning ambush that could have been seen coming. Now, all this and more is coming right up. But first, don't forget to check out this week's handy dandy one page cheat sheet covering all the main points from this episode. Now you can grab this as well as our other episode cheat sheets and some of the training manuals and goodies that are waiting for you there. Absolutely free. It's in a special section of our website we call the Loot Locker and all you have to do is go to warriorlife.com slash loot and it's all yours, Warrior. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. Hey, what's up there, Warriors? Listen, up uh, for those of us in that like that protector role, like we see ourselves in there, we, we've heard all of the tactical advice, right? So like keep your head on a swivel and be aware of your surroundings so that you can identify threats a lot sooner in your environment. And then if you, if you are confronted by an aggressor, we're told to, you know, look at their hands, put up your hands, blade your body. There's, there's all these other strategies out there to help you prepare for the worst when you are really presented with the possibility of being attacked. But what if you could actually predict a person's next move just by reading the subtle signs in their facial expressions or the way that they're holding their body or even just like they're breathing? Well, for this week's show, we're going to be doing a deep dive really into the hidden language of violence. We're going to hack into that matrix of human aggression and those secret body signals that you can watch for that's going to help keep you and your loved ones safe and protected from the predators of our society. What's going on, everybody? Jeff Anderson here from warriorlife.com. And uh, this is a, a great show. I've been looking forward to this because I know we've all been told to do these different things, right? And a lot of people just want to say, okay, well, yeah, I know when I can tell when somebody's going to attack me. I can tell when somebody's aggressive. But, but really, can you? <laughs> Because I've learned a lot in going through a recent book that um, I, I got, and I think you're in for a big surprise here with something different. And I have just the person to help us experience this because I have the author of this book. So please welcome Sean Grogan to the show today. Sean, welcome in. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. I've been going through your book, and and I've taken a lot of training in the past, and it's been... Um, like these are a lot of the things I've taken law enforcement training. I've taken uh, workplace training when it comes to I mean, because you know we know workplace incidents are have been on the rise for years and years, and so this really becomes more and more. You know, when you think about people saying about their next door neighbor that just shot up the mall, right, or whatever, just like they say, I I never like I never knew that about him. He was just a quiet person. You, you never really. Like it never really seemed like he was that person, but there are usually signs there. And I think that there's going to be a lot that comes out in this that I think a lot of people don't know, no matter how experienced somebody might be. I know we have a lot of law enforcement on here as well. So for those of you that maybe if you're in law enforcement, you have heard of Sean before. For those of you that haven't, he is a former special investigations detective that uh, spent most of his career with uh, Woodbridge, New Jersey Police Department. 
You'll hear from his accent, actually. And uh, in addition to spending the majority of his career in the narcotics unit as a detective, he was also a canine, hand, a canine handler and a gang investigator and worked on countless narcotics investigations and has assisted numerous agencies with various types of investigations. In fact, it was really this work that gave Sean a real street-based education on how facial expressions and other nonverbal body communications could really give you insight into a person's intentions, whether they were lying or telling the truth, um, and even advance warning of an attack. And carrying this skill set forward, Sean went on to take an advanced training role in, in nonverbal communication and became certified as a trainer for the Body Language Institute in Alexandria, Virginia. And then recognizing Sean's skill set, he was recruited by and he worked for Joe Navarro's Body Language Academy as a mentor for the Body Language Expert Program. Now, Sean has utilized this mastery of nonverbal communication during untold encounters with people as a law enforcement officer to conduct countless interviews with people in both formal and informal settings, as well as really getting into the gang culture and understanding how people choose their victims, how they... You know, just interacting with uh, people that have learned how to use their body, their language as intimidation, but maybe aren't aware of those signs they're giving somebody who is better educated, which is the whole mission for Sean's program. And today he, he travels throughout the United States providing training to law enforcement on nonverbal communication as an instructor for things like street cop training. Uh, giving detectives, officers, investigators, and agents really advanced skills that can be used in a variety of these settings. He has classes out there on things like unmasking hidden facial expressions, uh, body language for law enforcement, as well as recognizing pre-attack indicators. His book, um, which I, I definitely, everybody should really check this out, um, it's called Beware the Body, and it really gives deeper, deeper insight into aggression and aggression detection by utilizing your own powers of being able to read somebody's body language and nonverbal cues. So to find out more about Sean and his work, make sure that you visit him online at onefacetraining.com. So Sean, I, I was really blown away by your book. You have a lot of great stories in there, a lot of great personal interactions in there that really help people understand, I think, the nuances of not just the, the predators out there, but also even in how we may project ourselves as well, which I, I'm going to want to get into a little bit later. But but I think what was one of the things I found really interesting and I'd like you to talk about is in your book, you, you draw a lot of similarities between animal aggression and human aggression. And you really dig down into even like the various intentions of these aggressive natures that are out there. And, and this is something I've talked with other instructors about this in the past. And I've always found very interesting. In fact, one of one of the past instructors said, if you ever want to see, uh, you know, like what people are really like, just go to the zoo. Like you can go from cage, you can go to the monkey cage, you can go to the, like you, when you watch the animal kingdom, it's, it's very illuminating. You're going to start to see like, oh, there's uncle Albert. Oh, and there's, you know, my cousin, you know, like all these different personalities because animals do have these personalities. And I think especially when it comes to aggression and and criminals out there and predators out there, there is a lot to be gained there. And I love how you really dive into that. So when it comes to avoiding conflict or even being able to get advanced warning that the person that you're dealing with is looking you looking at you as prey, what are maybe some of the key similarities that you uncovered that you think would be the most useful for our listeners to know about in that in that comparison like with the animal kingdom? One of the things that I love that you brought up going to the zoo, because I love watching gorillas. Their DNA is very close to ours, right? So they have a lot of the same behaviors. And one of the things that I go over as far as looking a pre-attack indicator, you'll see time and time and time again is either a look over the shoulder or a look away. And you'll see them look over before going at running at each other. And there's actually, if you go on YouTube and you Google... Omaha Zoo Gorilla, you'll be able to see there's a, there's a video. It's pretty, we've got a, millions of views. There's a little girl that's banging on her chest with her, her fists. And you can see the reflection of her in that glass that's in front of her. There's a gorilla off in the distance that turns its head to the side 
and runs at the glass, keeping its head over to the side before pounding his fist, breaking, crack, not breaking completely, but cracking that outer layer of glass. This is one of those things, and I love watching the gorillas at the zoo because their DNA is close to ours, and they have some of the behaviors that we have. Time and time again, if you watch videos of pre-attack indicators, people will look away before the attack. It could be a look over the shoulder. It could be a look down and away. I theorize that this is because they don't want you to see it coming. They're not consciously saying, I don't want you to see this coming, but subconsciously they're like, hey, do you don't want, because what are you thinking? If you're standing in front of somebody and they're looking away from you, in your mind, very often it's going to be, oh, they're not even a threat at that moment, even though they've already locked into you. Same thing if you've got someone walking towards you. It could be, you'll see this often on body cam footage from cops, CCTV of attacks, you know, you talk about attacks, but everyone knows, okay, someone's come at me aggressive, they're yelling at me, they're squaring up with me. But it's those more subtle movements where someone doesn't want you to see it coming, they're not com- being as confrontational. Small little movements such as that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think another, we've talked about this before, but I think another reason why people might do that, I find it really interesting that it's instinctive, right? Like I, I find it interesting that this is somehow built into how we are in, and I, I was just having this conversation actually with, um, with some other tactical instructors about how, um, uh, how similar we are really just to when we were all living in caves with, you know, leopard skin thongs <laughs> and survival has really just been like, that is our core function in life getting out of the religious, not save all the religious hate mail. But I'm just saying like, we're programmed to survive from the time that we, you know, we're walking around in the primordial swamp. So it's, uh, so it's interesting to me that we, you know, we look for danger before we go into danger, or if we're feeling aggressive, that we, we have this instinct to maybe look around and see what the dynamics are, especially if there's time to think about it, which we often think about when it comes to aggressive individuals out there, predators of our society, people that are looking to victimize others, they're going through that OODA loop function, you know, well in advance of something, or they're well trained in going through the mental gymnastics that happens before they act. And us as more of, I would say, defensive protectors are usually on the other end of that. We're usually on the short side. Like the odds are not necessarily in our favor because we're, we tend to be more reactive, but it's, so that's why I think these, these signs are more important than ever for those people that are in a defensive position and do want to just be a protector. And one of the things that we've talked about in the past is just how are other people, because it's not just the aggressor, but like, what are the settings that you're in? Are there other people around there? Because it might, People might look around to see and see how other people are reacting to the confrontation that they might be watching. So if it's in a parking lot, if it's in a bar, do they have their their spouse or their girlfriend with them? I'm assuming it's a guy. It doesn't have to be a guy. But are they are they are they in a situation where a normal person or now I won't say a normal person, but somebody in that situation would feel compelled to do something about the confrontation that maybe they wouldn't even necessarily otherwise, but looking around and seeing like, Oh, a bunch of people are, you know, I'm going to look like a fool if I don't do something sort of a thing. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering in the animal kingdom, did you also notice any comparisons there? Like I know that pack mentality, like wolves, you talk a lot about wolves in, in your book and about how similar they are to the predator prey. I mean, that's the predator prey relationship. And I wonder if it's that same kind of thing, because for that, for the wolves, it is about status also. And I wonder how much of that has, has to play with, uh, with their body language as well. Yeah, in the book, I talk about the inner male, inner female aggression, several other types of aggression, and you bring up groups of people. So I've seen several times in law enforcement, if you've got to arrest someone's family member, especially we talk about parental aggression father mother aggression that's you get you lock up someone's son or daughter you might have a problem with mama bear papa bear and it's something you need to be aware of you're out 
at a bar, restaurant, in a movie theater, you get into it with one person, you got someone that's related to them, especially a, a, a parent, you're very likely going to have more than one person that you're going to end up fighting. And then yeah. I also wanted to, to comment, you said about the leper skin thong. I didn't realize we were supposed to stop wearing those. I have mine on right now. <laughs> Good for you. Thanks for not wearing it like uh, in in full view of everybody here. But uh, cool. and, and for those of you that are listeners to the podcast, you know, good for you. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, this is it's awesome. I, I mean, I, I find your background research and all of this, I just find very illuminating. Like it takes something that I think a lot of people really think that they have an idea about like, cause we think we, I mean, we've known people all of our lives, so we think we know people all of our lives, but yeah. it's, we know the people that are in our yard, right. In our home and in our workplace, which are typically going to be the same, you know, very similar people to you, but you find different things with people that are raised in other areas that you have to be more hyper, hyper vigilant or, or things like that. And so, and I think with your work with law enforcement, working with gangs, like you've seen a lot of the different sides of this. And I'm, I'm very curious about that. I think, so kind of carrying this into what people may already be told about or to look for or things like that, I think everyone can picture what it's like to take an aggressive stance if, if somebody asks them to do it. If I, and, I, and I do this even in our firearms classes. I'll, I'll say, okay, when we talk about stance, it's like, okay, I want you to you know, forget everything that you've told, been told about like the weaver and the, uh, you know, um, you know, whatever, whatever stance you've been, you've, been, you've been told to get into. Just imagine that you're facing an attacker and that you're going to punch them as hard as you possibly can. Go ahead and just get in that stance. And so it's interesting to watch people like they can naturally get into that stance. That's a power stance for them. And so if I tell people to take an aggressive stance, like they're going to punch somebody, they can do it. Now, you cover a lot of this topic in your book and you liken stance when you're watching somebody to pin pulls of a grenade. As a soul, as a fellow soldier, like I can, I can definitely like uh, I can relate to that. So, what is the significance of this pin pull concept, and what are what are the most critical things that we should be looking for in the stance of a of a person who is potentially aggressive? So, pin pulls are potential pre-attack indicators, and some of which are also potential pre-flight indicators for those that are in law enforcement. So, the pre-attack indicators, the the concept of the pin pull is if you take a grenade and you hold that grenade with the safety lever clasped, and you pull the pin out, and you continue to hold that grenade in the same fashion with that safety lever pulled in tight, what's gonna happen? Nothing, nothing will happen. But what are you very close to having happen? An explosion and a problem. Can the pin go back into the grenade? Yes, absolutely. These are behaviors you should be looking out for. So I go over them such as blading, as far as stance goes, the shoulder dropping back, taking a charging stance, looking over the shoulder, which we just went over, and also go over a pants lift or a pants pull. Now, when it comes to blading, like you said, you during firearms training, people know if you're already coming aggressive at someone, all right, they're taking a bladed stance towards me. They're squaring off with me. We hear that term a lot. But when it comes to someone that's trying to be more deceptive, in attacking you, you see all the time as a pre-attack indicator, the blade. Three types of blading. You got your slight, your prominent, and your enhanced. And if you got someone, I come up to you, hey, what's up, Jeff? Hey, hey, you got a, well, obviously it would be someone that you don't know. I would, hopefully it's not someone you know attacking, although that obviously does happen. Someone comes up to you and say, hey, can I get a dollar? Can I get a dollar? Oh, no. Hey, do you know how to get around here? You get a look over the shoulder with the blade. You get These are things, little minute details you'll see pre-attack all the time on body cams and in CCTV. CCTV. So the slight blade, it's very similar to an interview stance that law enforcement, law enforcement is taught or what you're talking about as opposed to that weaver, which is pretty hilarious when you think about some of the training that used to be done as far as stances for firearms training. The slight blade is one leg drop back, one shoulder drop back on that side, and the torso going slightly towards that side as well. When you think about it, you get the intuition very often, something's not right here. But when you can articulate that to yourself, you can say, whoa, this person's bladed towards me. 
Now, again, it's a pin pull. It's not, oh, I'm going to go palm strike this guy in the face. But there's something that might be off here. How Have a plan to deal with it. Me personally, I'm going to start walking towards that person's flank. Go around that one side. If they continue to blade, that's going to raise my suspicions. Maybe I want to gain proximate distance from them. Maybe I want to, if you're concealed carry, have your hand on your weapon in case they're about to pull a weapon on you. Have a plan to deal with it. Again, you're not going to palm strike this guy in the face, but I'd be a little bit more cautious with the person that's blading and continuing to blade in that slight blade. The prominent blade is a more of a right degree angle. The person is perpendicular towards you. Their shoulder is leaning towards you, and you pretty much can't see that one side of their body. Again, have a plan to deal with it. Are you going to gain proximic distance? Are you going to move around that person, see if they continue the prominent blade? At that point, same as the slight blade, I'm going to be concerned that someone might be getting ready to draw back their shoulder to come swing towards me, or even more so with the prominent and the slight, they might have a weapon on that side. They're trying to keep out of your point of view. And even more of a threat than the prominent or enhanced blade is going to be the, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the enhanced, the prominent or slight blade is going to be the enhanced blade. That's a blading with one hand in the pocket, could be a jacket pocket, hoodie pocket, it could be a pants pocket, and the other hand is doing what's known as illustrating speech or pacifying the person. What I mean by illustrating speech is when people talk, very often they move their body along with their words. I do a lot of this, as you could see, if you're watching right now, if you're listening, I talk a lot with my hands. And most people will talk with both hands. Now, nothing's 100%. We have to take everything into context in body language, right? You might have someone that has a, a, a deformity or an injury, and they keep their hand in that pocket, and they talk with one hand, and they just happen to be blading. Again, this is why we're not striking someone in the face when we notice these behaviors. Right? Oh, enhanced blading, I got to go I got to go on the offensive. No, it's something where you should at least have your hands up ready to go. I'm not going to have my hands in the pockets and looking around. You get someone in an enhanced blade, this is not behaviors you see every day. The I brought up the illustrating the speech and the pacifying. Pacifying, they're also known as manipulators or adapters. It's how people deal with everyday stress. We scratch ourselves, rub ourselves, play with clothing. When people become uncomfortable, you often see that they start performing these behaviors. So if I got one person with a hand in the pocket here, they're scratching their face here while they're talking to me, I move around, they continue to blade, continue to have the hand in the pocket on the side that is away from me. Now, when I bring up blading, I kind of mean like a knife blade, okay? If you think of a knife, if you've got the flat side towards you, you see all of that one side. If it starts to turn, you see less and less of that one, could be that sharp edge that you'd be concerned with. You come up on an enhanced blade, it's when I do classes for law enforcement, I, do, I bring it up during my body language class. If there's one thing I want everyone to remember, it's the enhanced blade. Not so much what it's called. Who cares what it's called? Remember, be able to articulate to yourself, why is this person approach me? Why am I talking to this person with one hand in their pocket, the side that's bladed away, the other hand's moving around, illustrating speech, pacifying themselves. They could even be holding something. It's one of these behaviors you see time and time again. If you come across it, treat it with the utmost respect and have a plan to deal with it. And those in law enforcement always bring up, is that what are you trained to do? Take your hands out of your pockets. Well, bow, bang, things happen quickly. Have a plan to deal with it. Yeah, man, there's so much to unpack there. I, um, I really, it really resonated with me, the concept of the, the pin pull and the grenade. Largely because one of the things that we talk about, and, and this is something that I've just, over time, I didn't realize how critical, I call it the switch. And uh, it, it's, it took me a long time, like martial arts and everything. It took me all of this, it took me, it took me decades to come down to what I really think is a big part of whether or not you win or lose an attack. And by that, I mean like survive or, you know, basically make the bad guy the victim. And, and it really came down less and less when I started really analyzing my past experiences and watching videos of real attacks, things like that happening. And 
And really looking for those signs, I, I recognize that most people just never even knew when they were like, you're in a fight, like you're not getting out of this and you're not helping it. So one of the things about the, the pin pull analogy that I like about it, and you said it earlier on, which is you're, you pull the pin and you're holding on to the safety lever. Well, what happens if you let go of that? It explodes. But when you're still holding on to it, you can put the pin back in. So with that, I mean, there's with any confrontation that somebody has, there is the opportunity for it to explode. You also need to keep in mind that there is a possibility of putting that pin back in and de-escalating it. And I think people really need to understand that. However, knowing when that hand's going to come off and that that hand is going to go flying and that, that thing's going to explode, being able to recognize that early on and then taking that strike. It's, I think for people that aren't in a natural, like don't live in an environment where you have to be on high alert or you're, you have a, a super high risk of being in high crime or live among predators. It's, it doesn't come to our, like it, it comes to our mind to really think more about blocking or about just hoping this person does. I mean, we see it time and time again, people just curl up. They don't even fight back because mentally they've already destroyed themselves. And I think that what, I, um, what I've seen a lot is that there are certain signs that happen where I've just come to know that somebody is about to strike me. And so the third thing I'll say about what you said that I, I think was really critical for people to get is your ability to articulate. Now you didn't say it in the way that I'm going to, I'm going to say it here, but we talk a lot about when it comes down to you being able to defend your actions if you have to in court, having to be able to articulate why you struck. Because we always tell people like, try and de-escalate if you can. If you can't, if you know that this is going to be a fight or an attack or whatever, be the one to act first. Because if you trying to play defense is not a winning strategy. And also understand that you might have to defend your actions. So you have to be able to articulate why you took the first shot. Because if somebody's just watching and they say, all I, know, all I know is that that guy just punched that guy in the face. Like, okay, well, I'm the guy that punched the guy in the face, but why did I do that? Somebody that's telling the police, like, he's the one that started it. He punched him first. He did this. He did that. But if you are, if you can articulate, like, no, I listened to this podcast and then, uh, or I took Sean's class or I read this book or like the reasonable man theory about what you knew at the time that you took the action that you did is critically important. So understanding what these signs are and being able to say, no, I took training or I came to this class or I watched this. I knew this before this person did this, that if they, and I'm going to use a couple of signs that I've learned just from working with, with gangs and, and, and dealing with security and gang areas and things like that is I know when this person takes their hat and they flip it from billfold forward and they put it behind them, I know like they're, they're telling their buddies, like it's about to go down. If they rip off their shirt and go shirtless, it's about to go down. Like I can articulate those things because I've seen them. And so that's why I think it's really critical for people to understand that I'll, I'll put them in here again. One, if that pins out, see if you can put that pin back in. Uh, two, no, like really pay attention to these things. Get, I'm going to, I'm just a shameless plug for your book. One face, uh, one face training, uh, go get the book, go get the book that, that Sean has, because then you can bring that book in and say, I read this book or I listened to this book and here's my purchase date. Anything that you can show to a jury to artic articulate, like I was watching the signs and I did everything I could to try and stop this. They weren't taking it. They were looking for an out. And then I knew that there was going to be a fight. And so that's why I struck because I didn't want to, you know, see what happened if I was knocked unconscious or the buddies jumped in. So I think I just want to really stress the importance. I, I, I know I said it at the beginning, but I want people to really understand that uh, just because you think you understand body language, trust me, unless you live in that environment and probably even those people that live in that environment, even law enforcement, uh, there's, there's always more to find out there. Right. So, so I'll bring this back to, the majority of our listeners, which are just people that see themselves as protectors in, in the tactical world. And we're always told to, you know, look at, look at their hands because they might have a weapon that we should know about. And you do go even further in your program and you give a lot of great insight into how the hands can actually 
help you read their mind as an aggressor. I think because that's so common among people, uh, law enforcement's told that, you know, show me your hands. They're, they're told to use that because you want to see their hands. I think because that is something that's commonly taught out there, I, I, I want to get your take a little bit deeper on that. So can you dive, dive in a little bit more so that people have a good idea about like what they're looking for besides a weapon when sizing up a potential attacker and whether that person is going to continue their aggression could potentially be a physical threat. Sure. And like you said, it's not the only way that where people are attacking someone, but it's the majority. You do see headbutts and other things. However, you're seeing firm digital flexion, bald fist, clench fist. It's something you should be looking for. Because people are often told, watch the hands, make sure they're not going for weapons. But you got to be looking, all right, oh, someone doesn't have a weapon in their hand. But if their fist is bald, that might be a problem. There's a few reasons why people ball their fist. You'll see it when people are anxious, stressed out. You'll have the spacing disappear, and you'll have that firm digital flexion with the fingers curled into the palm. You'll also see it when people are getting ready to hammer a point home. I just brought up before with the enhanced blade about illustrating speech. Well, people sometimes hammer a point home, making a fist and go, I wasn't there, or I can't wait to do this, very emphatically. However, when you notice the firm digital flexion, I'm not going to assume that someone's just stressed out or that they're about to hammer a point home. Because if you look at many mammals, back to the animals again, many mammal, mammals have elaborate methods of fighting. You've got hippos that go at each other with their mouths, bighorn sheep will slam heads, giraffes will bang necks. What do we do as humans? We ball our fists and we throw them at each other. Is it the only thing we do? It's our elaborate method of fighting, but it's not the only thing we do. It's the same way giraffes don't just bang next. They'll bite each other, kick at each other, and we'll do the same. We'll bite each other, kick each other, grapple, throw elbows. We'll do all sorts of things. But our elaborate method of fighting is to ball our fists and throw them at each other. We watch fight after fight after fight. What's the first thing that usually happens? People ball up their fists and start throwing them at each other. So if I got someone that's got firm digital flexion, especially if it's coupled with another pin pull, such as blading, and that look over the shoulder right before, well, time to get your hands up and prepare yourself because there's a good chance that that person might be getting ready to throw a fist at you. On top of that, with the hands, I want to see if the hands are foreshadowing. What do I mean by foreshadowing? If you think back to your high school or English, uh, I'm sorry, your high school English or literature class, you likely were told by a teacher that foreshadowing was a hint or a clue of what's to come in a story, book, or movie. Well, in body language, it's the body's way of letting you know what it wants to do before it actually does it. And it's not just done with the hands, it's done with eyes, it's done with the full body. But with the hands, I want to see what the hands are doing. Are they tapping a certain area? Is someone tapping their front pocket? Do they have a weapon there? Do they keep going towards their waistline? Someone keep grabbing towards their waistline? Does their hand continue to disappear at towards their back and even towards the chest here there's people who are known to wear little 380s around chains why because if they're getting pat down usually someone's going to go toward uh, officers going to go towards the waist they'll be aware people carry weapons on all different parts of the body and i'm going to look what people are doing with their hands not just do they have a weapon in them but where are they moving towards do i have that firm digital flexion do they keep tapping a certain part of the body where I can see an imprint. Do they possibly have a weapon there? Is it a gun? Is it a... A lot of things could be weapons. Might not just be a knife. It could be a, a mag light that's stuffed down someone's pants. Who knows? There's a lot of different things out there. Weapons opportunity that someone can use against you. Yeah. Um, I, I, you also talked to... Um, just even about the nervousness. I mean, I think... I think it's... In, because how do you practice this stuff, right? Like, I think it's, there's ways to really, you don't have to like go down into a high crime neighborhood and start like watch, observing people around you. And, and while there's benefit of going to the zoo, that's not going to give you your, you know, your PhD in this either. But, but I think one of the things that people can take away from this is really just to look, just to observe people that are in your regular environment, people that your family members, if I were to ask you what your, your, how your spouse, like when they're, how do I say it? Like a, 
I don't know, like something negative. I'm trying to think of like, what would it be? Or, or maybe just positive. Like what, when they're happy, what do they do with their hands? What do they do with their face? What do they, uh, if your, if your kids are, aren't telling the truth about their homework or whether they, you know, fed the dog, what do they do with their body? I think there's ways to really look at this in our everyday environment just to become one used to just looking. I think that's one of the key things is that it's so when you're stressed out and when you're, when you're tense, it's easy for us to just monofocus, right? All the things that happen with the, the adrenal dump and, and getting those blinders on, it, it takes a conscious effort to really kind of, kind of overcome your hormones and your, and, and just really look to their hands or, or look and see what their body movement is. Are they bladed? Even ask those questions. So I think there's ways to, I think you, you can become more familiar with watching people by watching people now and not waiting for that. Um, one of the other things that you, you know, you talk about movement a lot. We talked about it, not just in blading, but as a physical movement in an area. Um, and you talk a lot about how in another, where, you know, you look at stance, hand movement, but we naturally expect a person to be moving through all those things, right? Their body is moving around through all of those things. And you also talk about like, what are they doing as far as like within the space that you're, that you're in and you're having this confrontation in some way. And so what are maybe some of those red flags that we should be on the lookout for with the way an aggressor is moving around, changing their body position? What are some of the things we should look for there? A couple of them I went over already to look over the shoulder. That's huge. You see that all the time pre-attack and looking down in a way. The three types of blading that we went over, those definitely. And another one I would really pay attention to is a pants lift or pants pull. What I mean by that is the lifting of the pants up at the waistline. Either People will lift the front of their pants, the side, or even the back. And when do we see this happen? Sometimes people's pants are falling down. It's a behavior that occurs, right? But you also have it happen all the time. Law enforcement know this right before someone's about to take off. Off to the races just from that pants lift. But it also occurs all the time pre-attack. You see this constantly, just like the look over the shoulder. It's something to really pay attention to, especially if you've got someone coming towards you that you don't know. You see that pants lift? Again, have those hands up. Say, so why is this person up on me, asking me a question, talking to me out of nowhere, someone I don't know, lifting their pants up? Again, it's a behavior. It's a pin pull. It's not, I'm not going to strike someone in the face because they lift their pants. And everything's got to be taken into context. Maybe they've got real baggy pants and they're falling down. The tie string on their sweatpants broke and they got to lift them up. Again, this is just stuff to keep you on guard. You're like, okay, you know what? This person might become a problem. You know what I think is interesting about this is if you, if somebody were to look at their own thing, like if I, if I said to somebody, okay, you're going to have this discussion with somebody else, but I'm going to give you a sign that you're going, you're going to attack this person unprovoked. Doesn't matter. doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing anything wrong, but you're going to strike this person or shoot, even just shoot this person, or use a weapon on this person, or use your knife on this person. And I'm not going to, but if I don't tell somebody that, right? Like, so if I say, okay, I just want you to be the aggressor, I want you to be, and we put this in, into a scenario, and then I say, okay, stop. Now, now I'm going to give you the signal here as you're continuing this exercise, and you're going to attack this person. You're going to, and, and depending upon the context of the training exercise, I would say, they could either be armed with a gun or a knife or whatever it is. But I, I think if, if somebody were to have that then implanted into their brain, like, okay, here's the, here's what you're going to do as an action. For me, if somebody told me that I'm going to check and make sure I'm ready to take that action. If I, I mean, I carry, I carry a handgun and, you know, I know throughout the day it might shift over to an inch over here or something, an inch over there. And so I've got to make sure that. Is it in the right place? If I'm going to carry out this exercise, so in other words, if I if I know ahead of time I'm going to make this move, I want to make sure that oh yep I've got my knife. Maybe I didn't bring it today, right? Or is my is my gun you know hanging down too far? Where is it? And so okay, we're going to do that. All right, I'm going to do some checks here, make sure yep all right I'm good to go. Pull my pants up a little bit because if I'm going to strike this, if you're asking me to punch this person, you know. So I think that um, 
we can see how we would do it in ourselves. And that's why I think it's very interesting how we can start to see how somebody would be setting themselves up to strike you. Like if they're going through this in their brain and looking at they're going to attack you, then they're, I think it's important to really understand these subtle cues. Cause I think they are subtle, right? Like just touching your, your waist or touching your pocket. People do that, but we, I think it does take a really conscious effort. Don't, I mean, don't you agree? I mean, does it, uh, or, or prove me wrong, but I mean, just, I'm haven't been in law enforcement. I've been in security and I've done like executive protection stuff, but I've never been in law enforcement. Is it, how hard is it for you when you're working with people to really get them to consciously think about looking for these signs? Because I think that's the first hurdle, right? Like there's the things that you look for, but it seems to me that the biggest challenge there is even just getting people to kind of wake up out of that adrenal dump and that, you know, just being hypnotized on the person's talking or I like what you said before, like they might have their hand in a pocket, but they're using their other hand to talk. That reminded me of a magician, right? It's like, you know, mm-hmm. nope, there's no pigeon in my other hand. Like, look at this hand. And all of a sudden there it is. And I think criminals that are better educated know how to use deception and use their hands. And that's why we tell people even like start to use your hands more when you talk, because if you're using them and you're trying to talk somebody down, when you know that they're not going to, you suddenly realize that you're in for a fight, that movement with your hands doesn't look so out of place and you have a better chance of being able to, to launch an attack without them being able to defend against it. But I think that we can see it in ourselves, know how to use it ourselves, um, see it in other people, but how do you, I'm sorry, I'm kind of all over the place here, but how do you get somebody past that first mental hurdle of just getting them to wake up? Because I mean, you work with civilians as well as law enforcement. Law enforcement, I think are really, they're, they're naturally taught to do this. It becomes like second nature to be able to be more conscious of what that person's body language is. But how do you get civilians in your classes to be able to take more of a, um, I guess an active role in in developing the skill to even look for these signs. Yeah, so most of the stuff I've done with civilians are one on one, and it is a different dynamic, a hundred percent. But even with law enforcement, I always bring up get used to in, in body language, not just for aggression detection, but for deception detection as well. Get used to, like you said before, practice it. You're not going to the zoo all the time, and you're not going to high crime areas to go sit there. However, get used to going out in public and just people watch. Just watch what people do. Because we take in a lot of things. When you're ta- dealing with someone, you're thinking about what they're saying to you. You're thinking about how you're going to respond. And you're trying to take in some nonverbal communication as well. A lot of that's done subconsciously. But you want to bring it to the conscious level so you can articulate it to yourself. So, and if you don't, if you live in a more rural area, or you don't like going out in public and you don't like people watching and actually having to sit there physically, turn on the TV, turn on YouTube and turn the volume off. Get used to using just using your visuals as opposed to combining everything. And a lot of it comes down to situational awareness as well. You just, you know, pull your head out and be aware of what's going on. Like you said, you get that adrenal dump. Yes, you're going to be hyped up and you get in situations that happens just natural. And maybe for someone that's been in that situation a lot, it doesn't get as bad, I, I guess I should say, or to such a high level where you can control it because, hey, I've been here before. I'm used to this. This happens very often. And yeah, you're going to be in a situation like, okay, this is threat level high. My adrenaline starting to kick in. You're going to have that, all the physiological responses, but you still got to be locked in and think safety first. Like I want to come out of this alive. I don't want to be attacked. I can articulate to myself now, just that split second quicker. Oh, someone's blading with the hand in a pocket using the other hand. I got to do something and to have a plan beforehand. That's I bring up with law enforcement all the time. Have a plan to deal with it. I'm not saying my plan is 100% correct. I'm not a defensive tactics instructor. But I think one of the things, if if you're concealed carry, take that proximic distance. If you've got someone that's a weapon there, at least back away. Possibly give commands. Because if you say, uh, you just stand there and posture, that's probably one of the worst things you could do. Also, you're not going to go on the offensive and 
like I keep saying, strike someone in the head because they might have that deformity. They might have their keys they always lose in their pocket, and you they just happen to keep on blading because they didn't know why you were walking around them trying to check and see if they would continue blading on you. Yeah, there's um, I love what you said there. There was a couple really good, I think, training tips there for people. One is to look at people out in public, like going to, like you said, going to the mall, going to a restaurant and looking around and seeing if you can see if you can do, like figure out, like, are people having an argument? Are they um, people checking, checking out other people? Are they observant of their surroundings? My, uh, my girlfriend and I, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know. Pe- people on the podcast are probably so tired of me talking about my girlfriend, but it's like I reconnected with my high school sweetheart and like, I'm in, I'm in love. I'm in love. So, but it's like, we, we see other people out there now. We both came out of like very long, very long marriages that, um, uh, I'm not this, I didn't mean for this to be a therapy session, but I just like, we, we know what it's like to be, um, in a situation or be with somebody who you're not, you don't feel congruent with, you don't feel connected to and, uh, communication issues, things like that. And so we now look around and we can see some couples in restaurants that just don't even pay attention to one another. They're just like, they, you can tell they just don't even want to be there. They're there to eat, but they're, they're not, they're not there to enjoy each other's company. We, you, know, you can see people who you, we talk about families that are disconnected because everybody's on their phone. I think that it, there's a lot to be, there's a lot of, to be found out there and just watching other people just to see if you can make out what their, what their character is, or are they mad? What, what's their emotional experience at the time? I think there's a lot of value in that. And I love what you said about like watching videos, maybe of attacks that happen that start off as arguments or whatever it is, and then turn off the volume and then just watch their body language and we've done a few breakdowns on this, but I've never done it without like the, the with the sound off and being able to to do that. And I think that's very valuable for people to to be able to look at that. And it's like, when can you spot when this is going to be a fight? In fact, I think that'd be a fun exercise for somebody to do is to when you go and watch a video where a fight does break out, don't start off listening to it with audio. Just watch. Can you make out who the aggressor is? Can you make out what the friends are going to do on the on the outside? Because we get, even just watching a little, you know, six by nine inch little, little uh, like screen of of an attack, you can become so f- centralized, so fixed on just watching the interaction between the two people that are going that you know are going to fight, and not pick up on what's happening around them, and. So I think that there's, that's a, that, I think that'd be a great exercise to do for people as well. You know, I want to take a, a, a little bit of a, 180 on this, Sean, because I, I've had lots of conversations with a friend of mine and, and he was, he was hired out to do an in-depth research project where he went into um, a maximum security prison and he talked with convicted violent felons. Some of these people were on death row for, for murder. And I remember him telling me that at the end of this project, he could, he could easily, like I remember him talking about a time where he went into a bar and there was a guy sitting at the bar and there was another person that was kind of giving him a hard time about something. Whatever the topic was, I don't remember. But my friend instantly was able to tell that this person at the bar had been in prison and that the other person was putting him in a position where if it were in prison, you have no choice. Like you either strike this person to gain back the disres- to gain back your respect after being disrespected, or else you're just going to get disrespected by other people in prison. Like this is part of just the way you live in prison. And so he recognized this, but he also recognized, yeah, I think even more importantly, that the other person that was about to get his his ass handed to him didn't also know this type of information. And he was getting himself into a position where this person other person was not going to have a choice but to attack him. And he managed to de-escalate it for this by just by looking at this guy and just giving him, I don't remember if he said something or if he just looked at him and gave him a, a common expression to say, hey, dude, like this guy doesn't know, like kind of like have mercy on him. Like this guy doesn't, yeah. doesn't realize that you're about to kill him. And so he was able to de-escalate that situation right there. But I found it very interesting 
about those different signs that you can pick up. And I know that we're taught, right, to, to really show, like project that we're not a hard, that, that we're a hard target. Like go on to somebody softer because we have to assume we're being targeted, we're, that we're being watched. And so how do we present ourselves here, right? And I know, I know that one of the skills that prisoners and street criminals learn is to spot those signs of, of weak prey in their environment. So what can we take away from all of these body signs that you've learned about, that you've interacted with, that you've written about in your book that we can use to our advantage in how we project ourselves to the world so that we don't look like easy prey to those who are out there to target us. But, but we also don't want to put off aggressive vibes to others around us at the same time, kind of like walk softly, but carry a big stick. Like what can we learn from these things that we can project the people that are watching to see if we're going to be an easy target, but without being just looking like a chest thumping badass out there. It, one major thing is having situational awareness, right? Because you're, a lot of times you're looking for that easiest target. If you're out there and you've got your head in your phone, I, this is one thing I remember all the time. Put your phone away. And don't get me wrong. I'm guilty of it too. If I got some, uh, I got a family thing going on. I got a text about something. If I'm walking to a parking lot, but I'm still, I look down real quick and I'm looking back up. I'm looking down, back up. There's too many people. If you look out in public, they're walking all the way through the parking lot with their head in the phone. They have no idea who's around them. They would never see the guy squatting behind a car ready to jump out at them. Not that there's people, I make it sound like we're, but I'm sure the listeners of your podcast understand this is a dangerous world we live in. There are people out there that want to hurt you, attack you, and you should have that situation, situational awareness at all times when you're out in public. Put that phone away. If you're going to the store and you're returning things, do you really need to carry five bags at one time, maybe you just take one bag and say, I'll be coming back in. It might sound like a lot of work, but it's a, you're a lot less of a target than the person that's carrying all these things. Their hands are not prepared. Keep your hands out of your pockets. In the Marines, we are taught constantly, you do not put your hands in your pockets, in uniform. And you, you shouldn't be wearing even out of uniform. Why would you have your hands in your pockets? You're saying, I'm not a threat. These things are, are threats to people. If they're in there, you're not prepared to defend yourself. And there's didn't you bring up studies, your friend studied, there's there was a study done in the eighties and they talked to prisoners. And what they did was they went to a high crime area in New York City and they filmed people walking and then they choreographed the movements. Then they went and spoke with these prisoners who had attacked people that they didn't know. So they asked them to rate on a scale who they were more likely to attack, who they were more likely to mug, rob. And the people, they found many similarities. And it was certain, it was about how people walked. They were more likely to attack someone that bounced up and down or using the military ditty bopping as opposed to walks in a more figure-eight movement. People that pretty much stood out from the herd. We talked before about wolves. You brought up the wool. And yeah, I'm very fascinated by wolves. They're predator pack animals, and they attack weaker prey. They don't go after the buffalo that is strong and healthy. They're going for the younger one, the one that stands out from the herd. And I'm always very careful I bring this up because I understand people have handicaps. Not everyone is going to be able to walk in a figure-eight fashion, but we have to... The truth of the matter is, these predators don't care. You know, they don't even have the, the respect to, you got, it's, it has to be brought up because it's something that, yes, they're looking for easier prey. We see time and time again, the news reports, 95-year-old woman punched in the face and bag taken. Well, because it's an easier target as opposed to a 20-year-old male that goes to the gym every day that has a backpack on. They've also picked up on People that walk, if you put the overwhelming majority of people, you put your left foot forward and your right arm will swing forward at the same time. Then when you put your right foot forward, your left hand will swing forward. Did I say left? Yeah. I'm going back and forth. I'm over here if you're listening to me. I'm making the movements with my body. <laughs> so it's something that you, if you're walking with your left foot and left arm going forward at the same time, you're going to stick out from the majority of people. You want to move in a, and even the way you move your feet. They said that way, but they found that 
more likely the prisoners were more likely to attack people that were stomping down on the ground, almost like they're stepping out ants, as opposed to having a fluent motion heel to toe. So if you are walking, be conscious of the way that you move. You want your shoulders back, chest forward. I'm not saying come up with your chin up in the air completely arrogant. We know that. Like you said, you don't want to walk around, stare everybody down. However, I will make a, a conscious effort to look towards people. Because if you are that person that isn't looking around, you go, oh, don't don't look at this person. That's, I think, something that's been told a, a lot to people. Oh, don't, just keep your head down and don't. Well, you keep your head down. That's a lot easier of a target for a predator because you're not even looking around. I'm also not saying stare somebody down, but at least glance in a direction real quick. Hey, I'm aware that this person is in my vicinity. Yeah, there's, there's, man, there's, there's a lot of great stuff in there. Um, I think, I think again, it's, I'm trying to like, um, really come up with ways that people can, can bring this into their, like really into their skill set, like put this in their toolbox. I'm trying to think of like different exercises that people can do. I keep coming back to, because we off, because we are talking about like the predator mindset. And if you're not interacting with these people, like law enforcement interacts with these people. So it, it's natural for them. But I think for the civilian out there, the civilian defender, it's like, how do you get these skills? And I, and I keep coming back to just kind of reversing those roles. Like, how would you do it? Because I think it's easier for us to see it in ourselves, um, even if it's not from the defense. Because I think we typically train for us as the defender, right? Like we, even the movie that we put in our mind is one of, I will defend. And this is reminding me of, when we talk about things like home defense and it's like, okay, if I were to ask somebody, how would, like, what have you got planned in your house? Like, how are you, how have you hardened your fortress? Like, how are you ready if you were to have a home invader come and invade your home and try and make a victim out of you. And they would tell me things like, well, I have the, um, I have the, uh, an alarm system. I keep the front door locked and that they would give me things like that. Like I carry, or I have a gun. Okay. Well now you start getting into, okay, well, where is the gun? Um, are all of your windows also locked? Like right now, as you're telling me this, if you were to walk around your house and check all the doors and, and the windows, would they all be locked up or would somebody be able to come in through the kitchen or through the garage? Because, you know, is your garage door open? I have a neighbor who always leaves their garage door open all night long. And it's like, it just, I get, I get up early in the morning. I'm usually uh, leaving my house around four o'clock or so for, uh, for the headquarters. And I look out there all the time and it's like, you know, we're not living in the middle of nowhere where like we're in an area where we've had people come around and, get into cars and just pull stuff out, just looking for those, those open doors and things like that. And so I think if you start really asking somebody like, okay, okay, you have a gun, where is it? Well, it's right near my bedside. Like I'm ready for, okay, well, that's great for a nighttime attack. You can get to it. That's fine. But what if they push their way through right now? What if they came into your living room where you're sitting right now? And they, so when you start looking at people like, okay, well, one, you're typically not as prepared as you think you are. Um, Usually it's just, I own a gun, box checked, I'm good to go. Yeah. But I think when you start looking, okay, well, let's flip this, let's flip the role here. Now you're a home invader. How would you invade your home? What would you say if your kid came to the door or your grandkid came to the door? Do you think you could convince them to let you in? Do you, or even just open up the door so you could push through? If, and I tell people like, when it comes to physical security, like, Walk around your house. Most people, most people have never looked at their home as how would I invade my own home? Well, I've got trees and bushes up in front of my front door. Nobody be able to see me. So I would, nobody be able to watch me there, at, knock on the door, make up a story and then push my way through. Nobody's going to see it. Maybe I should get rid of those shrubs, right? Like that simple type of physical security stuff that you could do. So I think for this stuff also, we keep coming back to. Start looking at yourself. I love what you say about like watching other people, but what I like about what you were just talking about is look at other people and how would you attack them? Who would you attack? If you're at the mall, if you're at the restaurant, watching people go by, who 
would you look at as, yup, if your goal was that was to be able to take this person, how how would you do it? Like who who would you attack? Who wouldn't you attack? But then I think also looking at why. So you brought up things like posture. Um, is somebody hunched over? Like what are the things that we naturally assume? Because we're designed to do this, right? Our brain is designed to quickly see who's going to eat us, or who should we eat? Who should we mate with? Right? Like we are our primal brain is designed to pick these up things up very quickly. So try to pick them up. Who looks like they'd be easy prey for you? Who is somebody that maybe isn't twice your size, but maybe your size or even lower, but that you wouldn't attack? And then ask why. So first, I think get in that that signal of make it a yes or no, make it a binary choice. And then if it's a yes, I would attack them. Now answer that question like why? Or no, that person, I'm a little hesitant there. Why are you hesitant? And I think that you can almost make this laundry list of things that we can do to be able to silently project that same exact thing because it's that initial primal instinct of recognition I think is really useful. It's there for us. It's our, it's our own defense mechanisms. And for predators, it's also looking for where their next prey is coming from. And so who would be your prey? Who, is, who would not be your prey? Um, there's really a lot. There's a lot to do there. So, um, Sean, this has been... This has been amazing, man. Like there are so many different action points on this. I think things that people can do right now. Um, in fact, I want to incorporate this on the, the foundational training that when people come into, like when they come into our academy, like we talk about brain, body and backbone, like forget about all the sexy skills of jumping over the hood of your car, shooting between your legs, throwing a, throwing a knife and a machete at the same time at somebody's forehead. Like forget all the sexy stuff, like really where your safety comes from and where your survivability comes from comes from your brain, your body, and your backbone. And what we're talking about here is so much about the tactical aspect of not becoming a victim. And so much of it has to do with your brain and recognition and things like that. Like, I really want to incorporate some of these things into the foundational training that people go through, because I think it's so critical. Um, anything that we didn't cover today that you think that, or that I left out that, that you really want to get across to people as far as like how to how to use nonverbal, like either the recognition of nonverbal cues or maybe something that you've, you've found among civilians to be something that's very common that people just don't get that we didn't cover today? I think that people need to learn to trust their intuition a little bit more as opposed to being polite. And if you're ever familiar with The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker or Left of Bang, written by two Marine Corps officers about... You have that intuition very often for a reason, and you can't articulate it to yourself. This is why I go over these nonverbals, because you have that extra split second or second to be able to articulate it to yourself. I'm not saying to go tackle somebody again. again I'm always thinking liability. I don't tackle someone because you have an intuition. But you have an intuition. There's no reason for you to be extra polite. There's no. You don't have to sacrifice your safety for politeness because that's societal norms. Put your phone away in public, have situational awareness, and start using your visuals to look around you and look for possible pre-attack indicators, especially if someone approaches you or when you're in public, look who else is around. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. In fact, I mean, that takes things to that to that next level of what we were talking about, which is like we have we have these, these, um, detect, we have this radar inside of us. It's nothing like you don't have ESP, like your instincts and your intuition are there because they've been there for thousands and thousands. And I won't, you know, say how many thousands, but like, it's just, they're there for a reason because our sole purpose was just to survive. And in order to survive, you have to know when you're about to be eaten. So, uh, that's great. I love that, man. That's awesome. So, uh, listen, everybody, as you can see, like, no matter, it doesn't matter how much training that you've had. And I know we have a lot of people that are, you know, military and that have gone through a lot of training to be able to spot enemy, especially among local population where you don't really know who the enemy is in the crowd. Law enforcement who's dealing with people, um, you just never know. That's why I find it interesting you were bringing up just about spotting these cues for law enforcement, like when you go to a domestic call. And the person that attacks you is the one that called 911 to begin with. And they're the ones, you know, striking the officer. No, I don't want you to take him away. I just wanted him to stop punching me or whatever. But 
I think there's just so much to pull out of this. And uh, I really challenge people to use some of the some of the exercises that we talked about here in making this a part of your, you can make this part of your daily training. Like you don't have to just go to the gun range. You can do this at work. You can do this at the mall, at the restaurant, in within your own family. There's ways to really better identify, because uh, the earlier you can spot that attack, the, the much better prepared you're going to be to respond to that attack or avoid that attack altogether. So this is awesome. So listen, go check out uh, Sean's book and his training over at onefacetraining.com. Get in touch with him. See if you can coordinate some training for yourself. Definitely go check out his book. It's going to be on Amazon. And I will go ahead and we'll put some links there also where you can go and get that book. But it's a, as far as I'm concerned, they're, they're must-reads. Like These are the types of things that you really need to uh, get down. It's part of your your basic toolbox. It's like having that Phillips head screwdriver in your toolbox. Like it's a must have. You're going to have to have it. And so why not have the best quality one there in your toolbox that you can use that's going to be a, a better tool for you. So go check that out. Again, it's onefacetraining.com. And until our next series, this is Jeff Anderson saying live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.